This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. back to horror queers we're talking stripper angels we're talking getting raped by goat man satan and we're talking musicals where kirsten bell actually gets to sing and i'm joe and i'm trace and we're talking madi ju ju joe can can you can you read this i don't speak mexican <laughs> i think what you're trying to pronounce is marijuana <laughs> We're talking reefer madness, y'all, and neither one of us is stoned, but I heavily debated it before we started this recording. Oh my god, are you not stoned? I took this film's advice to heart, so I did heroin because apparently it's better than marijuana. Would that it had been mere heroin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so everyone, in case you don't... Oh, I'm sorry, we are not discussing... Well, we're going to discuss a little bit the 1936 actual like propaganda film Reefer Venice, but we are of course actually talking about the 2005 movie musical adaptation of the stage musical which was adapted from the 1936 movie Reefer Madness. Jesus Christ, well done on getting all that out. <laughs> I didn't even rehearse that. I just did it off the top of my head. It was so good. Ah! Yeah, so, I mean, it's been a while since we've done a musical here, and I'm going to wager, hmm, I don't know, I'm going to wager that most people haven't seen this movie. So if you haven't seen it, please uh, go see it. Unfortunately, it's nowhere available to stream for free, but you can rent it, I think, on Amazon for $2.99, or... If you want to shell out the cash, you can buy the DVD, because there's no Blu-ray, which comes in a brown plastic case that is scented like brownies. <laughs> so spectacularly on brand. <laughs> All right, full disclosure, y'all. I love this movie. This is a high school theater kid here. Uh, I was in high school when this premiered on Showtime back in 2005. This was one of those things that I had in my car playing all the time and a bunch of us in theater were like obsessed with this musical i can sing everything by heart i know all the lyrics i almost know all the words i know all the little tidbits um like little like touches like um for example when anna gasteyer is doing the stuff and she goes upstairs and she kind of goes uh like with her shoulder <laughs> like those little like moments <laughs> like that i know it all by heart does this mean i need to put you on a moratorium where you only get a certain number of singing instances in this particular podcast probably so i'm not and y'all, i'm not gonna put a singing song at the end of the credits of this episode like i did with zombievers um and if you don't know what i'm talking about then you should uh, go check out the end of our zombievers episode yeah it was a goddamn birthday episode you bastards go and listen to mm. it but um but yeah so <laughs> joe um this was your first time viewing this movie was it not absolutely was i'm not gonna lie i didn't even i mean okay 
I had heard of this very tangentially, and then you showed me one of the musical numbers when you were trying to get me on board to watch this when I came <laughs> to visit you in Austin. Well, okay, yes. Yeah, so your primary thing was like, it's not really horror. And I was like, but there's zombies and cannibalism. We can swing it. We can make it work. Oh, wait, sorry. Y'all... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wait, did you bury the lead? <laughs> I buried the lead. We're covering this movie because it's the week of 420, and uh, all of us are probably sheltered in our home, so there's probably lots of we going around, so we figured, why not cover... Th- I mean, it was either this or shrooms, to be honest, and this is the more fun option. Yeah, I mean, we could have cast a very wide net of, again, tangentially related horror films that have something to do with drugs, like... I guess Idle Hands. Gone- Oh, yeah. I was thinking, like, Friday the 13th, the remake, where there's a... Oh, pot everywhere. Yeah, but again, it's like, this film is so explicitly tied to the production consumption and, frankly, the very moralistic, reactionary perspectives to the way that people talk about drugs that Mm -hmm. it's, I think, an appropriate fit, not just for 420, but also for us. I agree. I agree. Are you a big weed smoker, Joe? Okay, so I am not. I am way too wimpy. Not because I don't like it, but because I've tried it a couple of times back in university, and it just doesn't it doesn't work for me all that well. I almost... Okay, so I understand that. Um, I actually never... I mean, I had smoked weed before. Um, I first tried it when I was in high school, and I was wasted off my ass. I was like 16 or 17 years old. And I get what they call the spins, where... Oh, no. Yeah, so basically what the spins is, I'm, I'm talking like people don't know, I'm sure everyone knows what I'm talking about, but if you don't... <laughs> All you 12-year-olds who are listening, here's what the spins are. Yeah, so basically it's like you're standing there, and it's, of course it's the combination of being drunk and being high, and basically you start spinning like you're on a Ferris wheel, but you're going fast. And then it's like you'll open your eyes, and you stop, and then you close your eyes again, and you start spinning again, but this time, like you're... Like, you're on that ride in a carnival where it spins around and you, like, stick to the wall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that the Gravitron? Yes, the Gravitron. So, basically, it, like, you keep alternating between those two spinnings, and then I just threw up everywhere all the time. Oh, wow. And Projectile vomit? Oh, it was, like, really bad. Um, and this would happen every time I smoked, and then I would get so... Even when I was sober, I would get so paranoid about getting the spins and throwing up that I would get the spins and throw up. <laughs> Wow, sympathetic spin throwing up. Yeah, so I always tell people, I'm not really a downers person except for alcohol. Uppers are really my cup of tea. Up until recently, though. So um, I discovered vape pens. Yeah, it really changes the game, doesn't it? It really does. I, I, when I, so, and I, I'm still not a big weed smoker, but like I found that I got really good sleep after smoking. Um, I know there's like different strands, like indica or sativa or whatever. I couldn't even tell you what what <laughs> that wow. means. But, I got nothing. One is supposed to be more of a head high, one's a body high, one like chills you out, but one is like, it's still a downer, but it's like a more energetic high to where you don't feel like just like falling into your couch. But yeah, so like in the past year, I've kind of gotten into like vaping and like doing that. And I also hate the smell of weed. I fucking hate it. Oh, do they not do scented weed? I mean, it's a plant. Just you burn it. Yeah. Okay. I guess, so I grew up with, my father was a big pipe smoker, and Mm. he could get flavored tobacco. So whenever people talk about smoking a pipe, I have these really nostalgic childhood memories of my dad smoking, like, cherry tobacco. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I wasn't sure. Like, this is how much of a novice do not really do pot. Like, 
my probably best experience with pot was when I went to Amsterdam and my husband oh, yeah. and I got edible brownies. Ooh. Didn't have quite the reaction that Jimmy has in Reefer Madness, but uh, basically we discovered that my reaction to pot, well, confirmed, is that I basically fall asleep and my husband got super annoying and like very like, hey, hey, what's happening? Hey, what are you doing over there? Hey, are you asleep? Poke, poke, poke. <laughs> Okay, see, that sounds like he was on cocaine. I assure you, he was not. He was more just like, <laughs> it released his inner juvenile. Well, I will say, I, I don't do edibles. The handful of times I've done them, and I've done edibles in the form of brownies, of banana bread, and something else, and I get sick every time. The banana bread I actually ate, because the problem with edibles is you never know how strong it's going to be, and it takes so long to hit you that... Oftentimes you're an idiot, and you have more than you should. Yeah, so I actually got really sick at a party once and like got sick out the front and back end um, when I was drunk and on edibles. So that was really fun. So I don't do edibles. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, number two accidents will will put an end to a lot of the fun. It was terrible. Um, so, yes, that was a lot of personal information about our drug habits. Um, we'll never get jobs. Off so, the top. Yes. <laughs> but, okay, so before we dive into the movie, I actually want to go into the original film, because we both double featured this, right? We did, yes. I will say that I watched the commentary on the musical, and the uh, director's like, that is uh, 68 minutes of your life you will never get back. It is 100% true, because that movie feels like it's about two weeks long. It's so funny, because it starts out honestly kind of like entertaining in a bad way, and then it just yeah. keeps going, and you're yeah. like, why is this still on? Oh, the minute that the like Mary Lane equivalent from the original gets mm -hmm. killed, I was like, all right, let's wrap this up. Oh, nope. fuck, why is there still half this movie left? At least the court scenes in the musical version are way more entertaining than the court scenes in the original film. <laughs> yes, although I will say that sounds so terrible my favorite part of the original reefer madness slash uh what is it tell the children tell your children tell your children and we'll get into that in a minute right uh i do like the moment where the woman after the court scene sentencing is passed down she can't handle it and she just throws herself out like a five-story building so that is blanche and she is the sally like doppelganger basically in that movie right. um because yeah. in that movie she kills herself in this one in the musical she gets eaten <laughs> which is a trade-up maybe Question oh 100 percent <laughs> um no my, my favorite part of the original is actually when they run over the pedestrian and the cutting oh, yeah. the editing is so weird on it, it like you, it's like the, it goes up to the guy and then it cuts and all of a sudden he's just like on the ground it's really funny so okay let's go into so uh, everyone in case you don't know reefer madness the original is a 1936 film um, it is a propaganda film made by a church group to scare yeah. people away from marijuana. Mm -hmm. With added scenes by a famous exploitation director to juice it up. Right. But those added scenes are like shots of women like pulling their garters up. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, which was salacious for back then. But before we even get into that, I want to talk about also, or just tell you in case you don't know, because I actually got this off the featurette on the DVD that I have, um, about it wasn't because marijuana was getting people high or doing this stuff. That's not why people were, like, there was a, a movement against this. It was about fabric. Fabric? Yes. So, here we go. This okay. is actually a lot more interesting than it sounds, I promise. No, no, I'm, you, you've got me intrigued because I have no idea how the connection could be made. Okay. So, basically, in the 30s, Mexican immigrants were bringing hemp into the, hemp, hemp into the country. <laughs> Sorry. Hemp with a tongue pop into the country. 
In the 30s, Mexican immigrants were bringing hemp into the country, and American farmers were using it for clothing and for paper. But at the same time, powerful businessmen conspired to protect their turf. These men were William Randolph Hearst, who oh, yeah. is a publisher, um, very, very well known. You all might be familiar with him from your history classes as, you know, being a yellow journalist. There's a famous little movie made about him or like based on his life. It won a bunch of Oscars. And... Which one is that? Oh, uh, sorry. And of course, now I've completely forgotten it. It's like... <laughs> no, it's like it's the f- super famous one with Rosebud. Oh, Citizen Kane. Yeah, Citizen Kane is based on William Randolph Hearst. Gotcha. Well, yeah, so one out of every four Americans was reading a Hearst paper at the time. He was also the largest owner of Timberland and user of newsprint in the country. So production of hemp threatened his business. Then we have Lamotte Dupont, who um, the Duponts were a very famous family. Um, They were about to produce a new fabric called nylon. If hemp fabric became more popular, their profits on nylon would plummet. So Andrew Mellon... (laughs) who was Secretary of Treasury and the banker to both Hearst and DuPont, he appointed Harry J. Anslinger, who was his niece's husband, to be the Commissioner of Narcotics, the nation's first drug czar, essentially. Hearst and Anslinger waged a campaign to make hemp synonymous with marijuana, which was at the time legal, and people were buying it and using it, and therefore making marijuana synonymous with murder, minorities, and, you guessed it, madness. So... The whole reason that people were going anti-marijuana is because of fucking Hearst Papers doing their, you know, turning people crazy because they didn't want nylon to get fucked. So what you're saying is that rich white men have been ruining the country all the way back to the 30s? Yep. And so the hemp industry was shut down by the marijuana, which again was spelled with an H, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, Tax Act of 1937. Wow. I know. So it's kind of gay when you think about it. It's all about fabric. (laughs) Yeah, uh, please note that I had to refrain from making multiple jokes that would have cut off your your explanation because you were like talking about Timbaland and I wanted to talk about like Timbaland the rapper and then you were talking about nylon and I was like, wow, you know, 80s fashion, but yeah. Sure, (laughs) nylon didn't really take off till the 80s. I mean, we all know that. (laughs) <laughs> just think we could have been wearing weed fashion in the 80s oh my god i mean I, th- I think it came out later that the hemp actually wasn't g- it wouldn't have like been as structurally sound as whatever hearse was using for paper which i guess was trees you know mm-hmm. whatever yeah. um but either way it's still really funny to think about so enter 1936 right before this tax act passes so yes as you said um, this is a fi- uh, Louis Louis J. Gaznier. He directs this film called Reefer Madness, which is financed by a church group. Uh, of course, yeah, it's called Tell Your Children. The film was purchased by producer Dwayne Esper, who recut the film for distribution on the exploitation circuit. It was rediscovered in the early 70s and gained new life as an unintentional satire among advocates of cannabis policy reform. Oh, also with the name, though, here's the funny thing. It was released in four territories. Uh, originally. So in the South, Reefer Madness was released under the name Tell Your Children. Mm-hmm. West of Denver, Colorado, it was Doped Youth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> New England, it was Reefer Madness. And in Pennsylvania and West Virginia, it was The Burning Question. Ooh, no, that one is too vague. Doesn't work for me at all. The Burning Question is about gonorrhea, clearly. The Burning Genitalia. Does it hurt when you pee? The Burning Question. Always. Oh, you should get that looked at. This milky discharge, I have two different colors. 
Oh my god. Did it go you know far? what? You should try some reefer. That might help. Honestly, it well, it'll just put you to sleep and then you'll never, never think about it again. Your body's just gonna decompose. <laughs> <laughs> God, so grim. So, okay, enter the 90s. So we're flashing forward about 60 years. Um, 1998, writing partners Kevin Murphy and Dan Studney are driving from Oakland to Los Angeles when they come up with the idea of turning Reefer Madness into a musical. But by the time they reach LA, they'd already written the first song. That is some good work ethic. Like I, I, don't, I, I don't understand that. You know, like, not, not just this particular scenario. I don't understand music writing. I don't understand how people do it. Music and lyrics, it's so foreign to me because I don't have that kind of a brain. So yeah. I don't understand how people do it. No, I mean, I, so you're going to hear me talk about Smash a little bit later on in this episode. Mm-hmm. But whenever I watched that fucking train wreck, I was constantly just like, this show, I think, is making it look quite a bit easier because it just kind of looks like, oh, yeah, we get into a room and we just sit down and immediately produce a smash number one hit. Oh, thinking, yeah. Uh, I don't think it works that easily. But then also, maybe it does because these two guys literally came up with a musical and wrote the first number on a car ride. Well, that's the thing. And this musical was a hit. So basically, they finished the script. They approached director Andy Fickman, who at the time was known for mostly theater work. Um, since, <laughs> <laughs> since Mr. Fickman has gone on to direct such classic films as She's the Man, which is the only... It's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, you Again, which I like, but I know you don't. Um, it's, I fucking hate that movie. Ooh. It's... It's not a good movie, but I really, really like it. Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, for which he was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Director. And this year's Playing With Fire, the uh, firefighter movie with John Cena and I think Keegan-Michael Key. But the funny thing to me is he's also directed every single episode of the two seasons of Kevin Can Wait, the Kevin James CBS sitcom that lasted for two seasons. So, like, what kind of dirt must Kevin James have on you? <laughs> I mean, they must have had a really good time making Paul Blart. <laughs> like, is that dead hooker in a in a trunk kind of blackmail? Because that is a big... Well, actually, I joke, but the money for directing, like, all of the episodes of a sitcom is probably pretty good. Like, it's a guaranteed oh, income. and it's CBS, and so it's all those old rich white people. Oh, my God. They're trying to get my hemp paper suppressed. <laughs> They're... <laughs> They're forcing famed director Andy Fickman to direct all of Kevin Can Wait. <laughs> They're giving Kevin James a platform for multiple years. Yeah. So this musical opens um, in a small equity waiver theater in Los Angeles for what the producers thought might be a two-week run. Instead, it played to packed houses for over a year and a half, captivating audiences and critics alike, winning 20 theater awards and breaking records. Um, It it took on like kind of a Rocky Horror life in which people kept coming back in costumes and (gasps) shouting out lines. I mean, it was one of those productions. I mean, let's be honest. So, folks, if you have not actually watched the movie and you're just listening to us, you're probably thinking, this is all a little bit crazy. But honestly, the music and lyrics in this movie are very catchy and they're incredibly smart. Oh, 100%. It's very, it goes very hard. And so I think if you watch this, you're either going to really, really be into it or you're going to be annoyed the fuck by it. <laughs> there are only two extremes. There's no middle ground. <laughs> I mean, and there may very well be, but I mean, like, if you don't like musicals, I would still say give this a watch. It, it, it's, I don't know. I mean, I'm biased. You know, I love this movie. Right. Um. So anyway, so then finally, like, it, it, it gets such a big reputation in LA, so they get to move to Off Broadway. Um, not to Broadway, but Off Broadway. It opens there on September fifteenth, two thousand one. 
Hmm. That seems like a great time to open a propaganda musical. Yes. So, listeners, in case you missed that, um, that is four days following 9-11. Needless to say, it did not do very well, uh, and and it closed shortly thereafter, which is why we have this movie, which premiered on Showtime on April 16th. Oh, almost 15 years to the day. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is dropping on April 15th, uh, 2005. And what's actually fun is, um, too, so some members of the original L.A. production, including Christian Campbell, brother of Nev, who plays Jimmy Harper, um, John Kassir, who is Ralph, and Robert Torty, who plays Jesus, they all originated their roles in the L.A. production. Mary Lane was not portrayed by Kristen Bell until it went off-Broadway. But that is also why she's in this movie, because she was in the off-Broadway production. Right. And when they were looking to make a movie of it, they were like, let's trade up some of the star power in this by getting more well-known actors and actresses who can also sing and enter Alan Cumming and Kirsten Bell. Well, and um, Christian, I th- I feel like I read somewhere that they were actually going to re- like gender flip it and make Nev Campbell Jimmy, but like, you know, make it a girl like Janet or something. Okay. But I think that she couldn't do it. And of course, she was like, well, I don't, uh, you know what? Don't take my word for it. I just, I feel like I read that somewhere, but it's hearsay. Obviously, Nev Campbell's in the movie for one like a scene. Hot second. Yeah, it's like one and a half scenes because there's a clip later in the car during the Mary Lane, Mary Jane sequence. But yeah, so they get a bunch of people. This, um, they give it a budget of $25 million. And uh, what? <laughs> I was like, there's no way that's true. But it is. I mean, I, at least every source I found, not just Wikipedia, are telling me $25 million. And so I looked up comparable things. And basically, Little Shop of Horrors from the 80s, that had a budget of $25 million. But then I'm like, okay, so maybe, like, Maybe $25 million for a movie musical isn't that much, because if you look at the Hairspray movie from 07, that was a budget of $75 million. Oh my god. I know. I mean, granted, that movie made its money back, too, because that movie actually did very well, but... I'm just thinking, like, in terms of comparable, like, Little Shop of Horrors has all of the puppet work that they would have had to independently commission, and there were various sizes... I have no idea why the budget for Hairspray would be so fucking big unless you're talking about really substantial paychecks for people like John Travolta. It, oh, it has to be the cast. That's I mean, that's to me. The only unknown in Hairspray is Nikki Blonsky. I mean, you've got fucking Michelle Pfeiffer, Amanda Bynes, John Travolta, Christopher Walken, Queen Latifah. Like, that movie's star-studded. And granted, I bet you a good chunk of the budget for this... Well, actually, no, because... Steven Weber, I think the biggest name in this movie is probably Nev Campbell and Steven Weber. Maybe Anna Gasteyer, who was big on SNL at the time, but... Yeah, I think she's a bigger star now than she would have been in 2005. Well, yeah, because... Oh, oh uh, but this is after Mean Girls, too. I forget, because Mean Girls was 04. Right. Hmm. But still, it's not, like, star power, you know? No. And, it, I mean, they obviously cast people who could actually deliver on these roles. It's not like they cherry-picked an actor who is terrible so that they would have the name brand recognition. I think what shocks me the most about the budget, though, is that it was a Showtime movie. Yeah, like, this isn't... It didn't go theatrical. It <laughs> no. It on fucking Showtime. <laughs> I do... I do wonder, though, because, okay, so it premiered at Sundance, actually, in January of 05. And it didn't win any awards, but it was there. Um, it also screened in competition at the 2005 Deauville... That's D-E-A-U-Ville Film Festival. I mean, it won the Premier Audience Award there. And then, yeah, then just opens on Showtime, April 16th, 05. I can't imagine this was ever meant to go to theaters, right? I mean, the production is such that I could imagine it going to theaters. But when you say it aired on Showtime, I'm also not surprised. It also, um, it, it is officially rated by the MPAA. Like, it has an R rating. So, 
Hmm. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if Showtime had already secured distribution rights or if it was already. No, actually, sorry. It was always a Showtime project because a lot of the interior sets were L word sets. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, because this was shot in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the reception at the time was fairly positive. I remember the only reason I heard about it is because I read about it in Entertainment Weekly where they gave it an A minus. But we're looking at a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes based on seven reviews, a letterbox score of seven out of 10. And yeah, I mean, for the most part, people that people enjoy this movie. I mean, I can understand why. I don't think I have anything else on backstory. So do we want to just dive in? Yeah, I think so. Let's go. Okay, so feel free to correct me if I get anything wrong, because I, I will. know that this is more your area. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll cover Don't Look Now one day. <laughs> Folks, if you don't get that reference, go back and listen to the Patreon episode of our, what is it, our Wallace five-star horror films? Look, it, basically, I just mean that this is a me movie that I had to fight tooth and nail to get this included in our fucking programming, um, so right. Joe can do something else that I don't want to do. And I'm still waiting for that opportunity, because on this schedule, there's no fucking me choices. I know. Hey, you know what, though? I lost a really good one for next month because of coronavirus, and we have to delay it, so... This is true. I'm really yes. upset about that, because I was really excited about making you watch that particular movie. You know what? I... It will be on the schedule one day. Everything will come back around. (laughs) Folks, we will get through this. One day. (laughs) One day more. Yeah. Okay. In Black and White, 1936, a collection of parents meet at Benjamin Harrison High School for a presentation by a guest lecturer, played by Alan Cumming. Who owns this movie? He's all over this movie. He is so good, though. I mean, I've never seen him on stage. I've never seen him perform, but I know he's like a big musical theater nut. I love... And also, his accent is flawless, because I think he's Scottish, maybe? But yeah, so... Sorry. I, I think he's fantastic, and his opening number is so good! Yeah, I mean, I don't think it hurts that, like, he did a lot of the roles for, like, the MC in Cabaret. Uh, right! Oh, yeah, yeah, I think he won a Tony for playing the MC. Is, I, is that the character's name? Yeah, I think it's just called MC. Okay. But yeah, I mean, he's good at being the person who kind of ushers you into things and offers you exposition in a really easy, accessible way. Um, And this also mirrors the bracketing device of the original film in which it's a a man just telling people, whereas in this one, he's showing the parents a film. He's showing them Reefer Madness in the film. I love it. I do think there are a couple, a few too many cutbacks, like cutaways back to this room, and it like, disturbs the flow of the film, but it's fine. I agree with that statement to the effect that I cut out a lot of mentions of them. So if there's jokes that happen in what I'm calling the present day black and white, feel free to interject if you remember them, because most of the time I just kind of, I just negate them. Um, fun fact, oh, really? I'm surprised that the Asian joke isn't probably, oh, maybe it is on your list. I don't know. It is in there somewhere. <laughs> but, um, the woman who, the woman who does the Mari Ju, she is the woman who gets decapitated by the eleva- S, um, elevator in Final Destination 2. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah Canadian yeah. actress Linda Boyd. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, this movie is packed with Canadians all the way down to the chorus girls who are secretly Canadian strippers. I... <laughs> I mean, honestly, we might as well just call it Canadian Horror Queers, because I feel like every movie we cover has so many Canadian connections to it. This is true. And it's basically my secret, my 
<laughs> my secret tentacles are all about trying to educate you but also to take over the listenership and be like hey canada exists and also everything you like is secretly ours don't be talking about your tentacle <laughs> i'll always talk about my tentacle <laughs> uh actually one thing before we get too deep into this again if folks have not checked this out before listening and they maybe plan to you should know that this is one of those movies that is patently offensive to everyone so yeah. if you're gonna put on like your pc police and try to watch this you are not going to have a very good time there are lots of racist jokes in this movie there's a gay joke there's Oh, uh, there's a couple really of gay jokes. It's, yeah. But, but the movie itself is also very gay. And obviously, I, I hope if you watch this, you don't think that the movie is actually supporting any of the views p- yeah. posited by any characters in this film, because it's 100% not. No, and I mean, that's that's where most of the comedy lies, right? Is that it's so outrageous and it's presenting it as a moralistic argument, like we need to be afraid of cannabis. And it's basically saying... Everything else is way more fucked up than a kid's doing a, a little bit of drugs. Oh, just wait till we get to the section on jazz music hypnotizing white women. Because <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> I'm talking about that black voodoo that slows down time. Yeah. Unnecess- <laughs> allows them to sneak in unnecessary grace notes. And the woman just, ah! <laughs> <laughs> And, like, doesn't she feel up her tits? Yes, she fucking, yes. like, exposes her bra and, like, just rubs all over herself. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. So good. Okay. Okay. So in this opening number, Alan Cumming, as the lecturer, sings about the dangers of reefer madness, which will turn your children into hooligans and horrors. Um, and this is, of course, our big horror set piece because it is a zombie fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, I do actually. So we haven't talked about the choreography. I fucking love the choreography in this movie. I think it's fantastic. Um, oh, not choreographed by Paula Abdul, but the audience. choreography is done by marianne kellogg she was nominated for emmy but she did not win um but it is important to note that paula abdul did do the choreography for the off-broadway production um and she got that gig because she had revamped the orgy sequence in the la version paula abdul man she knows them orgies i know um (laughs) but yes of course the lyrics here are fantastic uh it's a Let's see, creeping like a communist, it's knocking at our doors, turning all our children into hooligans and whores, and the, it plays off with that a lot. It's um, stealthy as a socialist, deadly as the Democrats that empty out our stores. I, it's so fun. And really, this opening number, as most opening sequences of regular film should do, it's really setting the tone, and it's giving you a hint of like, okay, if you're not enjoying this, this is maybe not a production for you. And it's pretty violent. We also get a great, um, I'm going to say it's a Nightmare on Elm Street homage when Linda Boyd gets pulled through the wall. It's very much reminiscent of when Nancy's mother's pulled through the glass, like, partition of the door at the end of that movie. Um, But yeah, it's basically Mm -hmm. just zombies coming in, attacking all these fucking people. Because Alan Cumming is telling them, if you let your kids smoke reefer, they're going to turn into zombies. Yep, so everybody gets murdered. But then, of course, we, we dial it back a little bit so that we can watch this production It's a film called Tell Your Children, which is, in a nice inversion, the film that they watch is colorized. And this is an alarmist exploitation movie about the perils of marijuana. So, in this film, we're introduced to Jimmy Harper, played by Christian Campbell. No, we love him, right? I mean, he's super adorable. He looks, he's basically Dimple, the human being. 
Mm-hmm. Apparently, as of 2014, he was still portraying this role. I believe it. He looks exactly the same. He's been portraying a teenager for, like, 16 years. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, to... I mean, I'm going to put this out there. I think to a certain generation of queer men, Christian Campbell is, like, up there because we all saw Trick which is about a young queer boy just desperately trying to get laid in the big city. Uh, it's got Tori Spelling as his best friend who won't shut the fuck up, and he's literally just trying to have sex with this hot go-go boy, and it is, like, kind of seminal for a lot of people. Okay, I have never heard of that, but it was mentioned on the audio commentary, and I was like, I'll look that up later, so thank you for that. I've never seen it. It's very delightful. It's, like, it's nothing that's going to rock anybody's world if they've seen other gay films, but right. it's... It's one of the better ones, I would say, because it's actually just kind of sweet and romantic and cute. Gotcha. And I was trying to do that like Alexis from Schitt's Creek. <laughs> you're not really nailing the inflection, but you're close. Uh, if you could have seen my lips and mannerisms, though. Oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> uh, you're, you're like, hey, well, shit, I can't show you. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Fuck this podcast. Because it, it's, it's like um like the T-Rex hands a little bit where she's like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a certain amount of duck lip and head tilts. Yes. Yes, exactly. This is why we're pivoting to videos. And squinty eyes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so yeah, so we're introduced to Jimmy, and we're also introduced to Mary Lane, who's played by Kirsten Bell. And, and this is like peak Veronica Mars for her, so this would have been during the second season of Veronica Mars, and this is the only reason that I know this movie exists, is because the advertising very much centered on the dominatrix number that she's in. Right. So I was very much like, oh my God, Veronica Mars doing something like this. It's so salacious. I have to know. And mm-hmm. she is bubbly, bubbly Mary Lane, and she's perfection. I mean, they're they're both very quintessentially... It's, it's kind of funny that the film is meant to mock a 1936 film when really the way that the production unfolds is far more 1950s suburbia yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I well, also want to yeah. point out... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying, even like, well, not there, but even like the five and nine number screams 1950s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very like... Riverdale. <laughs> yes, but better. <laughs> Only good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also should point out that uh, this is Kirsten Bell reuniting with Alan Cumming after Burlesque, baby. Well, before Burlesque, but before yes. Burlesque. I'm just saying, that, that was the reference off the top that I made, because... You and I have a disagreement about the quality of burlesque. I fucking love it. There was a table at my wedding dedicated to burlesque. That's how important the film is. To wait, me. wait, wait. What? What made the table dedicated? To, like, what? 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 What was this? You know how people get designated like go sit at table, yeah, A or whatever. So there was a table for showgirls and burlesque. Yeah, and but like, one. like what? What made it? Like what made it that? Like, okay, you said, hey, cool, you're going to the burlesque table. What made it the burlesque table? That was just the name of the table so that people could orient themselves. Uh, okay, see, all right. what I did at my wedding was I, we had table numbers, but we, have a, we had a quote from all the, of Andrew and I's favorite movies on the, uh, on the table card. Okay, yeah, we just eschewed flowers and instead had film reels. Oh, oh, I like that. That's really cute. Oh my god, we should have a wedding episode one day where we just talk about our weddings and no one will listen to it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but all this to say, so I fucking love burlesque, but I hate the fact that in a musical that Kirsten Bell co-stars in, she doesn't get to fucking sing, and it drives yeah. me insane every time I watch it. Well, uh, hey... I'll move past this fast. My problem with mm-hmm. burlesque is it doesn't 
it has too much shit going on that crowds the good stuff, like Kristen oh, Bell as yeah. a fucking villain who gets to do nothing in this movie. Nope. Like, and comes the to romance with yeah. Kim. Yeah, the romance of Kim getting that is stupid. Everything Eric, Eric Dane can be removed from that movie, and it would be fine. Like, <laughs> ugh, I have something. Uh, you know, maybe that's a Patreon <laughs> episode one day. <laughs> maybe yes, because it's a horror. It'll movie. just be me screaming air rights, air rights, air rights. <laughs> <laughs> People, you know, you want it. Support us on Patreon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so Jimmy and Mary Lane are a pair of courting teenagers, and they liken themselves to Romeo and Juliet. Don't you love how say, they... They can't say Romeo and Juliet. They have to say Romeo and Juliet. It was so good of you to teach me Romeo and Juliet, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> and they're such geniuses that they think that it's a romance because they haven't read the ending. So they hope to end up like Romeo and Juliet. But we should start at the prologue. <laughs> I was drinking. <laughs> Everything Kristen... Again, you're right. Both of them are great. They're both at the really good kooky stuff. And so that, that yeah. way, when they actually do both get to go nuts on Reefer, it makes it even more... Like, all the more entertaining. And again, you're watching this in 2005. You really only know Kristen Bell either from Veronica Mars or from her brief appearance in Pootie Tang. <laughs> Must we? <laughs> maybe <laughs> i'm just gonna move past that like somebody dodging a bullet that's okay but the i actually do like the romeo and juliet song i think it gets off to a weird start because um she, she says something she cues him and then christian campbell does this thing with his arms where he's just like da, 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 da. but then it gets fine yeah th this is one of those things where people who don't love musicals you'll be like oh a musical number because it just kind of feels like it's interjecting on the film proper but then once they actually get singing and dancing and even like when it switches into period costumes for romeo and juliet <laughs> that's when it actually starts to feel like oh okay this is a bit more organic and you settle into a rhythm but the humor comes into this too especially because william shakespeare is their um is their efficient at their wedding. Yes. And I love that they're talking about how, oh, they're going to like, Romeo and Juliet's going to, they're going to live happily ever after. And you just see him going, no, 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 no. Which, of course, will play a part later in the film. Yeah. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> I Okay, honestly, the first time I saw this, I didn't know that Mary Lane died. And so when she did, I was oh, really, shocking. really upset. Yeah. Well, and it's not like she dies in the climax or anything. She no. kind of dies like two thirds of the way through the film. Yep. It's an hour and six minutes into this movie. Yeah. Ah, good times. All yep. right. So let's cut over to a flop house where we're introduced to our bad guy, Jack, who is played by Steven Weber. And mm -hmm. he wakes up May, played by Anna Gassire, who, who in turn is my Go MVP. Ahead. I know you Yeah. <laughs> She's my MVP. She, <laughs> I love Annie Spanger as Sally, but I think that Anna Gassire is probably the best part of this film. Uh, I think the the production might be inclined to agree with you because it feels like they gave May a juicier part. Maybe I mean her songs are like they're all the, the from the musical, um, so like they didn't give her anything extra to do. Right. No, I just I think like the character itself has been given more importance in the narrative compared to like the original source material film. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. also yeah, it it I don't know. There's something about the way Anna Gastar kind of commands the screen that I can't help but wonder if they were like, let's 
focus the camera on her more. In the commentary, the Fickman said, like, this is when, as a director, you learn to let actors do their thing because mm. she would just do so many extra things that just of made course. May very May. And I'm talking, I'm not talking like big improv moments. I'm just talking like little like ticks and body things. Yes. Well, and I think that's one of the things that people who are coming from a more improv-based background are going to be able to give you, right? Like, oh, do you want me to do it 28 different ways? And yeah. I've already done 27 of them because I'm that fast. Mm -hmm. Like, that's Anna Gaster for you. For sure. And of course, oh, sorry, continue. So we're introduced to Jack and her. Yes, uh, it's just a weird, funny sequence where he wakes up May, and then May wakes up Sally, who, as you mentioned, is played by Amy Spanger, and... She looks like a dead ringer to Megan Hilty from Smash. So I spent the entire movie <laughs> being like, oh, cool, that girl from Smash is in there. <laughs> and it's so weird because I, I think, because Spanger has done film work before, but she's primarily a stage actress. And so, and honestly, so is John Kassir. And I did not know that. Yes. And folks, if you don't remember who John Kassir is... Uh, we talk about him in, of course, our Demon Knight episode because he is also the Crypt Keeper. And he's pretty good in this movie. Actually, the movie, we, we, we didn't mention it, but the movie, the first shot of the movie is John Kassir smoking reefer and doing yes. a laugh, which is very reminiscent of the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> yeah, it's a little unnerving, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sally wakes up and we very quickly learned that she is a clumsy absent mother whose catchphrase is damn blank as in <laughs> whatever she runs into so damn wall damn stairs damn sink damn body <laughs> yeah uh she's definitely i think the secret mvp player oh and she's great I, I was shocked to learn that this is actually her like her feature debut i mm, see and she wasn't it would make sense to me if she was in the original cast somewhere but she wasn't so yeah they just not, found not, her i guess I, well, but see though i think she was doing theater for maybe they like came across her when they were doing the off-broadway production and like mm. like they made friends i i don't know but yes no she, i mean no one in this movie is bad i want to make that very clear when i say that gassire is the mvp i just mean that like she's my favorite part of the film <laughs> Right, yeah. I mean, she she gets a lot of the good numbers, too. But, but yeah, Sally is as your Blanche doppelganger or mm -hmm. whatever. Oh, she's so funny. And when we get to her baby later. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Jack is more or less getting up so that he can go and recruit kids from the Five and Dime because this is their source of income. So he leaves May to lament about the relationship, which includes, uh, so this is the song that you mentioned earlier, and in this song she includes things like, he cares, he buys me lingerie, and it all builds to a crescendo where she opens up the window and screams out, when Jack rapes me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even doing it justice because I guffawed and nearly fell off the couch when it happened. It's is it not, like, a great fucking... Okay, so, sorry, I, I, I'm gonna try it. Um, I want you to try it <clears> so badly. <laughs> okay, so it's, um, I, I know the, the, the one line. It's like, though the fun sometimes escapes me when Jack gets stoned and rapes me! And then, like, it just cuts to outside and everyone just stops what they're doing and looks at her. <laughs> yeah, because, of course, the street is filled with people. There's somebody walking their dog, somebody trimming their hedges, because this is meant to be 1950s Americana. And she's just like, oh, right. 
<laughs> she has so many good moments like that. And her, some of her, oh, sorry, I'll get to that, because some of her line deliveries are just fucking, it's so bizarre. <laughs> uh, it's a great character. It's a great showpiece for Anna Gustar. I'm glad movie. to know the rape joke worked for you. I mean, who doesn't love a good rape joke? <laughs> Fuck me. But yeah, so there's a lot of wife beater humor in this movie. There's um, a lot of wife beating humor in this. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's great. It's not PC. <laughs> okay, so uh, at this, so this is the only time I'm going to mention it. So we jump back to this real world black and white version yeah. where Alan Cumming is telling these people, and at this point he delivers the line that we mentioned off the top, which is that. Uh, the were it mere heroine line, which I just, I think it's my favorite line in the entire film. Yes. And oh, I feel bad that I, t- I quoted that to you before you even watched the movie then. Um, but yeah, so it, cause th- this is like when it really comments on the, um, the scaremongering in the yellow journalism, because the one guy in the audience is like, well, this doesn't really make any sense. Like mm-hmm. um, you can't get addicted to weed like that. Like my, my wife's brother was on the heroin and it was really bad. And then of course coming, who's acting as, you know, fucking propagandist is like oh no like it was it was probably weed oh yeah i guess it would he like scares him into like oh is this the matriculate conversation no i think it's that one might be later but yeah he always finds a way to undercut any uh criticism that they have usually by challenging their either position in the community or their intelligence and that kind of thing yeah for sure um but yeah (laughs) would that it had been mere heroin (laughs) it's such a good delivery uh and and of course you know anybody who knows the difference between heroin and pot you're just like but that is outrage okay yeah even the method of delivery is like way worse for heroin oh god yeah i mean my my absolute favorite part of the original film from 1936 Mm -hmm. is there's like a newsreel style portion where they're talking about like you know marijuana grows all over the united states in back lots and farmers fields and so on Right. And then it literally shows them picking, crunching it up, rolling it into a cigarette. And you're just like, you're literally showing kids how to, how do, to this. do this. Like, <laughs> like, how to like, do okay, That's the thing. If, yeah. if you were to give me heroin, I'd be like, okay, so I put it on a spoon and I light, light a lighter under it. And then I think it turns into liquid, and then I have to get a needle and fucking suck it up from the spoon, and then stick it in my mm-hmm. vein. It's just a lot of work. It's very I th- intricate. Yeah, I think that's how you do it. I mean, what movies have taught me is that that's how you do heroin. <laughs> yeah, it's we've basically seen train spotting, and now we know how to do heroin. But all we had to do was watch uh, Reefer Madness from 1936, and we can basically start our own grow up. There you go. <laughs> so let's cut to the five and dime where it is revealed that president roosevelt is coming so there's going to be a dance contest and once again this is very grease like you mean the labor appeasing supreme court packing bolshevik mm-hmm. that's the one yes the very one <laughs> uh i love this sequence it really serves i know i was gonna say it serves no purpose it's, it's, it's to get jack and jimmy together um i love the nev campbell cambio Can- cambio i love the nev campbell cambio um it, no, go with it the nev cambio so apparently <laughs> the, the 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 so a first of all the tango was one take they did not do more than one take wow um yeah it was all done in one shot i mean sorry not one shot but there's obviously a camera set up it was all one because uh, um in case you didn't know nev campbell is a classically trained dancer mm-hmm. she was in i want to say a robert altman film called the company which is about a ballet dancer um, correct yeah yeah but yeah, so apparently, though, because I always wonder, you know, when they're filming musicals, how 
Like if they're really singing or if they're mouthing it and they ADR over it later. Right. Um, I guess there is some form of music because in the commentary they mentioned that um, when Mary Lane has to go over to Jimmy and talk about like the plan about the um, 4-H club and uh, Roosevelt coming into town, she actually has a, a earpiece in her ear keeping tempo. Like uh, doing the okay. bum, 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 like, 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 like a metronome. So right. she can keep in tune while she's speaking. God, I can't even speak in sentences on this podcast. And the idea of somebody <laughs> having an earpiece so that they can keep tempo while delivering their lines of dialogue. I think that's Jesus why, I, and I get people that don't like musicals. I understand it. And I, this will be my one soapbox moment. But if you don't like musicals and it's because you're like, well, why are they singing everything? If the Buffy musical has taught you anything, <laughs> it's just that people are singing their inner thoughts. So when you're watching a musical, pretend like they're not singing and just listen to what they're singing and pretend like they're saying it and it's dialogue and you're done. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I was very confused recently to find out that not everybody apparently has like an internal monologue. And that, I guess, means that they also don't have their own theme music, which is very confusing to me because <laughs> I am the star of my own show. And everywhere I go, it is a fucking musical. Like I am Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist 24-7. Okay, uh, yeah, so basically this whole sequence, the point of it, it's quite a lengthy sequence. It's a nice show-stopping dance moment, which is nice in your musical. But the whole point, the whole purpose, as you suggested, is to get Jack and Jimmy together. So Jack uh, recruits Jimmy to say, hey, you know, do you want to come with me? And Jimmy's like, no, I got to learn how to dance. And then Jack does this tango number, which proves to Jimmy, oh, okay, I should go with this guy so that I can impress Mary Lane. Don't you this... love this tango, though? I do love the tango. I love it also when musicals uh, have, like, they use lighting to change the mood mm -hmm. as well. So, like, yeah. there's the whole group of them doing the big dance, and it's impressive, and it's, you know, it's full of energy and je ne sais quoi. And then all of a sudden, it's like the lighting shifts like they're actually in a separate musical, and then we get this sultry red light tango. Yeah. And then when he puts her on the bar, and then she slides and they kiss... And it's this one shot where he kisses her, he comes up, he straightens his tie, and then the lighting switches again. And we're back mm -hmm. into the world of the movie. It's, that, to me, is kind of synonymous with the way that musical as fantasy, like, that's very much the musical is actually in these characters' heads. Like, that number didn't actually happen, but it's what they were all thinking, and it gets represented to us as the audience. Well, and I think, too, and maybe you have a different opinion on this, because I know you weren't as high on this film <laughs> as I was. Uh, as I am. But no, because a, a common critique of um, like adap movie adaptations of musicals or plays is that it feels too stagey. It feels like they didn't expand it enough, you know? I think that applies more so to plays than it does to musicals. I think so, yeah. But this movie to me does feel like like a stage musical put, like yes. just filmed. Oh yeah, like I could imagine this airing on Fox, like here's our sound stage and we're going to run the camera from this part to this part and like, okay, we need to get from the five and dime back over to Mary Lane's house and it's... But yeah. to me, that's not, with this particular film, not... Like it's not a con for me. I I, I don't I think, think it's because, an issue. No, no. Well, because of how over the top the whole thing is, I think it actually works in its to its advantage. Well, that and the staginess of it is actually, I think, superseded by the extravagance of a lot of the musical numbers. Like some of these get really fucking big, which is mm -hmm. where you kind of see that twenty five million dollars on display. Oh yeah, when those strippers come in in a minute. I mean, strippers don't come for cheap, man. No, no, I don't know. 
(laughs) (laughs) So Jack brings Jimmy back to the flop house, which uh, in an amusing moment is completely cleared out of all of these reefers at a moment's notice so that it can appear to like be a welcoming house and not a creepy drug joint. (laughs) There's like a part, there's like a bra hanging out of a potted plant. It's really funny. (laughs) Well, and particularly when you compare this to the 1936 film, which looks like a regular house, like it almost plays like a bordello in the 1936 film. Like it's run by this affluent woman who only wears nightgowns and just day drinks in the kitchen all the time. I wanted Anna Gasteyer's wardrobe constantly. Even that purple dress, which is at the end of the movie, which is clearly just a dress with like some fucking like white Michael's. De- decor <laughs> <Flowers>. like yeah. <laughs> super glued onto it like i wanted it so bad <laughs> ah well i know who you're going as for halloween oh my god may yes may <laughs> uh so the only people who are left in this flop house are sally and ralph so we yeah mentioned john kassir before and he uh is revealed to be a perpetually high former college student so he wears a letter jacket or a letter <laughs> sweater all the time and it's actually because like because in the original film it actually is someone who looks like they are in college but they tell you oh he's a dropout whereas in this one it's fucking john kassir <laughs> it's like this 45 year old man <laughs> hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I also love John Cassier's makeup because I, I can't even begin to describe it. He looks like he was left out in the desert for a couple of days and also went on a bender. So he just has these massive bags under his eyes, like kind of raccoon eyes. And his skin is just disgusting. Like he's in a perpetual stoned state throughout this Always. Movie. Which is why he becomes a cannibal later. Yeah. I mean, he is comedically also amazing in this movie. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, everyone in this movie is like, all in yeah everybody is at 11 about 98 percent of the time and they're all in Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) so may upon seeing jimmy protests that he is too young and she and jack get into a slap fight that ends i mean it's a visual gag because you see her hit him and then he hits her and then we kind of cut away as Jimmy is mingling with Sally and she's setting her baby on fire on the stove. <laughs> and then we come back and we just see that May is literally sitting through a glass coffee table where Jack has clearly punched her and she has fallen. And she just kind of gets up and like dust broken glass off of herself. So apparently the baby burning thing was Amy Spanger's idea. Like it wasn't even in the script and people were like wary to do it. And she was like, uh, no, we're doing this. And there was that funny moment where like she picks up the burnt crib or cradle or whatever the fuck it is, a bassinet. And mm-hmm. she puts it and she gets burned. And then her hand is numb for the rest of the scene. Yeah. because She keeps having <laughs> to kind of shake it every time she moves it. <laughs> Cares about the hand, not the baby. <laughs> Damn baby. 
<laughs> yes, and then she gets to work on the nine inch part of Jimmy's five foot nine inch. Uh, and I have total confidence that he has a nine inch cock because we see that bulge later and it is awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry, were you not masturbating during that? Oh, you saw the leak nudes, did you? Are there leak nudes? No, there are no oh, leak nudes. God. Christian Campbell is a good boy. Come on. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm sorry. That was a, like a prime masturbatory scene for me when I was growing up. Oh, uh, let's get to it then. Yeah, let's... So, <laughs> so Jimmy is given his first puff and we get a... This is kind of the, the first really big musical number. Mm-hmm. Uh, It is what I call a tribal seduction set piece as it looks like a nightclub kind of set, but it is populated entirely by people who are wearing like, you know, ferns for clothing. He is stripped of his clothes down to a jockstrap that has a marijuana leaf on the front. Mm -hmm. And then he is held down for a sexual rub between Sally and Goatman, who is Alan Cumming. How would you describe this look, Trace? So, okay, first of all, this whole sequence is inspired, it's an homage to King Kong, mm-hmm. Bollywood musicals, and Showgirls. Uh, obviously the volcano. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> what are you going to do? That's where Goatman comes out of. Yes. So, go- I-, I always considered him Satan, like Goat Satan. I I don't know, man. It's Because this is after X2, so it's like they mixed in a little bit of Nightcrawler. <laughs> but he's also wearing this gold spandex bikini Speedo thing, and he's also got a gold penis bulge. Goat, goat. A goat penis bulge. <laughs> yeah, I think he's got nipples pierced. He's got, like, yes. an elongated chin. Uh... It, well, it's, it's Mr. Tumnus from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but, like, yeah. gay and rapey. Yes, and that right there, that is the subtitle for this episode. Mr. <laughs> Tumnus, gay and rapey. A gay and rapey Mr. Tumnus. No, because I, I, I had messaged you and I was like, I totally forgot, and I didn't, I just wanted to mention it, that uh, Alan Gumming <laughs> plays a goat Satan that rapes, that butt rapes Jimmy with a fucking torch. <laughs> yeah, and there's a little bit of homophobia here where when Jimmy sees the male dancers, because there's male and female backup yeah. dancers in this scene. Oh, and the, the the pieces on the women, though, like it like it like just covers the crack of their vagina. Like that's that's how thin these bottoms are on them. There's a little bit of risqueness going on here. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rated R film, people. Yeah, um, and they're using it, right? Like, there's a lot of hot, fit people gyrating and bouncing around each other in this scene. Um, And secret sexy man, Christian Campbell, who is ripped. Oh, yeah. he. This is one of your classic examples of, you know, body be banging, but it's hidden under clothes that are ill-fitting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. You watched, uh, did you watch Ugly Betty? Yes. Did you? Oh, Henry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. But yes, no, absolutely. You're right. That is exactly what he is. I mean, it's my it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite tropes is when you see this kind of milquetoast man. I I feel like a lot of them are actually homages back to Rocky Horror, where you see Brad take off his clothes and you're like, Brad's got a body under those clothes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so does Jimmy. Yeah. Love it. So this musical number is intercut with scenes of Jimmy's life falling apart. He's stumbling through school hallways. He's ruining a family spaghetti dinner. He's climbing into the shower with his mom. Well, it's not really spaghetti. It's clam linguine, but yes. Wow. Thank you. So helpful. (laughs) The clams sing to him. They try to eat him. This is true. 
Yeah, you you didn't mention this when you said that it was horrific, and I was like, the look of those clams singing is horrific to me. <laughs> and they come back later. They do, which I love. I love how everybody <laughs> comes back for that number. That so this uh, musical number concludes with an all-out orgy. Mm-hmm. It's you know as it should. This gives the film the R rating for sure, um, minus all the drug usage. Uh, they, they, I don't even think they say fuck in this film once. But uh, yeah, this this was um. A great number. It's it's really, really, really stellar and spectacular, and it just looks beautiful. The, the tribal, like, dancing choreography when they're summoning the goat man, oh, I just came. Yeah, it's really good choreography, through, especially, like, the big group numbers like this. Okay, so Mary is confused by Jimmy's changed behavior, so she hits the church. You don't like this one? I don't mind it, but it feels so low energy after what we just saw that you're kind of like, oh, okay, I guess it's the film coming down a little bit. You know what? No, I'll accept that because this actually used to be one of my least favorite songs just because I was like, oh, it's so fucking boring. But she's so endearing in it. And again, we get that fucking great line of how the wafers won't transubstantiate. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, like one of your classic, Oh, if you were paying attention to the lyrics, you will get that joke. And if you were just kind of tuning out, you may have missed it. Yeah. But I mean, it's also the first time, I mean, we get to hear Kristen Bell sing in Romeo and Juliet, but this is her one and only solo number of the film. And yeah, it's, it's, it, it puts her soprano to use is, I would say it's because she goes pretty high when she does. Pew. I mean, you're asking the wrong person, man. Well, alto's lower soprano is higher, but I think that she actually is an alto, but I think but in you this think she song, hits a soprano note? I, I think, yes, I think so. Okay. Also, I hate the word pew. Like I hate it. <laughs> Pew, pew, pew. Don't be bringing in Star Wars to this fucking stoner party. <laughs> uh, hello, did you not see Fanboy? She was in that. She was motherfucking Dude, Princess I didn't Leia. see that, but I've always wanted to. But it's it's like not great, right? It It's mildly amusing if you know your Star Wars bullshit. Okay, that's all I need. No, because, yeah, that was also around this time. So it's one of those ones I, I would have watched anything with Kristen Bell. Oh, right. Yeah, that would have been right around this time. Because when you were going through her filmography, I was like, no, she was in some shit movie. Yeah. <laughs> ding 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 there you go okay so also happening at this church is jimmy and ralph robbing it they come to rob the donation box and i think this was my other issue with the with the mary lane number is that it's bracketed by these two really high energy big big numbers so uh jimmy is transported to club celestia whose mc is joan of arc in like chainmail bra (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it. hey man, there is some fetish work going on with some of these outfits, and this is a prime example. The stranger from the manger. <laughs> and this is Spanger again, right? No, it's someone else. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. mm-hmm. Different actress. Because um, there's so many roles in this movie that are multiple, like, actors yeah. playing multiple roles. The only time, so Spanger, Kassir, and Weber, they only play dual roles in the finale. Okay, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, okay, so we've got sexy Joan of Arc. She's the MC, and she introduces the musical star, who is, of course, Sexy Jesus, played by Robert Torty. And he delivers a chest-bearing rendition of Listen to Jesus, Jimmy, with a troop of sexy Vancouver stripper angels. So, which I think were the same. Oh, 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 oh. They should be the same, yeah. It's the same as the but one of the angels, and I don't know if you're going to get this reference, but it is actually, um, one of the angels is played by Alex Johnson, who is 
Canadian and okay. known for being on Instant Star, this TV show that was oh, also the so, so weird after Fee left. But she's also the girl that gets hit in the head with the nail gun in Final Destination 3. Wow. My God, there's so much Final Destination all over this because Final Destination is also so Canadian. It really, I just rewatched 3 for the first time in like years and I was like, whew, Canada. Yeah. Remember that time I convinced you that Mary Elizabeth Winstead was a Canadian and, and you totally you bought were, it? You were wrong. No, you didn't fucking know that. <laughs> oh, I was bluffing my way through it and you were like, oh my God, is she? Is she? And then you had to look it up and then you were like, no, she's not. <laughs> so, okay. This number. This number is something else. <laughs> it's so amazing though, right? Like, it is so blasphemous. It is well, actually, not really, because it's Jesus being, like, the voice of good. It, Yeah, no, I wouldn't say... I think the blasphemous part is the way that everyone is clothed, because it, again, looks very showgirlsian. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the lyrics themselves are quite... It's the same set as the orgy. Yeah, you, you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> is it $25 million y'all couldn't afford in a second set? <laughs> not when you gotta redo it in golden white um there are a couple in this though like the lyrics again a lot of good rhyming i love the um don't let reefer kick your keister i'm the poster boy for easter Ugh. <laughs> such a groaner no no listen to jesus jimmy all the cherubs say you gotta listen to jesus jimmy trust the man with the stigmata uh, okay that's a little blasphemous <laughs> <laughs> I do like the part where he climbs through everybody's, like, it's that classic poster look where you're only seeing people from the waist down and they've got their their legs spread and then the person's, like, crawling through them, like, military style. Yeah. <laughs> and you also, it's all women angels and then the two male angels. Yeah. It's, it's hard for men to get them wings. So... Jimmy is basically offered a deal with Jesus, like, hey, you know, come back to the good side. And Jimmy tells Jesus that he has a new God now. So he rebuffs Jesus. Which makes Satan spit out his water. <laughs> <laughs> and back in the quote unquote real world, May at this point is saying, Jimmy, you need to get the fuck out of here. But it's a little bit too late because uh, we learn at this point that Sally has sold her baby to a cannibal Asian stereotype. <laughs> And she and Jimmy go out for a drive, and at this point, they hit and kill a man. Uh, there was a song cut out of this, which was actually, I think, the first song. Oh, this is, this is the song they wrote for the uh, musical, actually, on their trip, I think. Um, and it was, there was, it was called Dead Old Man. But they, I think you get a taste of it in the movie when he's like, there's blood on my hands, uh, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And my id threw a party, and everyone came, which, of course, I just think about semen the entire time. I wonder why. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so this is, you know, Sally runs away. Yeah, so Sally runs away and Jimmy is there with this dead man. But at this point, this is kind of the turning point for him. He thinks about how his desire for swing dance lessons got him into this trouble. And he decides he's going to change his life around when he goes to visit Mary Lane. And he sings the only new number in this entire film, which is Mary Jane, Mary Lane. An Emmy winning uh, song. Right. Yes. I but. Mean, but what are you doing here in the middle of the night? It's almost 9 p.m. <laughs> uh, Mary Lane, a woman after my own heart. <laughs> but hey, right, so this number, obviously not as big on the dancing, but I, oh, it's such a good song. It's so catchy. I mean, I think this is 
one of the more important numbers. It's not bombastic. It's not like loud and showy, but really this is the heart of their relationship, right? Like this is where Jimmy comes back to the good side and he decides he's going to pledge himself to true love with this girl. They decide that they're going to run away together because they're going to be good together. And honestly, in another movie, this could be the end of it, right? Like he has learned his lesson. He's back on the side of good and true love wins out. But alas, this is not the end. <laughs> right. Well, no, th- th- this is your f- end of first act big musical number. Like, that, mm-hmm. that's that's what this is. Um, and I don't know if, if you're the same way, but, like, for me, because the second act is always less. Oh, it's always worse. It's always worse because typically it's when it gets more emotional. Like, the first act is your fun, frilly, like, all the fun stuff. The second act may have a couple, but, like, other than the finale, it's when things get serious and they're trying to solve the problems. Oh, interesting. I always think of the second act as let's not tax our singers and actors as much because they're getting into, like, the one-hour mark, the two-hour mark. So I always think of it as, like, let's hold off on big numbers like everybody gets kind of like one shining number and then we'll come back together for the big rousing group finale interesting you know what you that that also may be correct but i actually well yeah because we don't get an orgy or a five and dime number in the second act minus the Mm -hmm. finale um i would say the closest is the murder me number Oh, ooh, and i that is a seven or eight minute long number and i fucking love it but we'll get to it Oh, yeah. Uh, To me, I think that's actually also the catchiest of all the numbers. Mm -hmm. And it's super intense, too. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So, ending be damned. Uh, Unfortunately, this is when Jack shows back up and he decides that he's going to lure Jimmy back to the flop house. But Jimmy refuses his reefer. So Jack has to bring out the pot brownie. And this is where we get a brief Disney-esque animated sequence wherein a brownie is personified uncomfortably as an African-American woman. Oh. The number is fun, but it's super racist. So I've never even thought of that as race, but that totally makes sense. <laughs> because the oh macaroon God, is... dude, come on. <laughs> well, because the macaroon is a sexy Mae West white woman with tits. Um, this is the one song that I don't like. Oh, really? I really don't like this number. I don't like this sequence. I don't love the animation. I hate that we have a naked brownie boob thing. I hate that he's fucking the brownie. Yeah, well, that that's part of the reason why I find it so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I love the chorus of Jack and Sally and um and May going, eat the brownie, eat the mm-hmm. brownie. That's cool. But yeah, I something about this doesn't work for me. I do love that before we go to the cartoon, um, the brownie is covered in green. <laughs> like it looks like it's just a cube of dirt covered in moss yeah like hey just in case you couldn't figure it out this is not just a brownie it might as well just be marijuana in a square and it hits him really fast and as we discussed at the beginning of the episode it takes longer to hit you when you eat it wait trace are you suggesting that this movie is not representative of the truth it is not realistic (laughs) (laughs) i am shocked sir (laughs) Also, I would like to highlight the fact that I said representative. Representative. So you are stoned. You know what? We can just wait. Look, go yeah, get edit, your weed. Uh, edit out around the stoned periods. Go get the weed that I know you have somewhere in your apartment, and I'll go do mine, and we'll just re-record this episode and see which one's better. Oh my god. I'm so happy that we've never had to re-record an episode. I mean, these jokes are bad enough the first time. Can you imagine trying to replicate them a second time? 
No, no. <laughs> anyway, okay, so we get the stupid cartoon out of the way. Right. So Jimmy is firmly back under the influence. He's taken back to the house. And at this point, Jack takes Jimmy's ring off of him as payment. But Mary Lane has followed Jimmy back to the house and she tries to sneak in, but she unfortunately falls immediately under Ralph's spell because he appeals to her desire to date a fraternity boy and wear Parisian clothes. <laughs> it's all the rage with the college girls in <laughs> Paris. <gasps> Paris? <gasps> and then she like, like, she like fluffs her hair as if it does anything. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> This is like quintessential Curse and Bell right here. Oh, 100%. It's so good. And then, of course, she pivots on a motherfucking dime. So she, I mean, the way that people smoke in this film is also very hilarious. So she has two hands smoking. They're taking massive puffs. They do not hold the smoke in their mouths for any period of time. They just immediately exhale it. Her eyes are rolling, like, like in opposite directions. It's really mm-hmm. bizarre. It's a great physical performance, considering it's a small-scale kind of joke. Right. Uh, and at this point, we get the revelation that the weed unleashes her inner dominatrix. And this fucking number... Oh, well, actually, no, it's a good reversal, though, because in the original film, Ralph tries to rape Mary when he gives her weed, and then, yeah, yeah, she gets shot. In this one, she rapes him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he is trying to avoid her immediately when he realizes what he's gotten himself into, and she is smacking him around. She is ripping away the chaps to reveal his ass. (laughs) I'll tie you up with phone cord. We'll play with the whips and nipple clips and candle wax. And then he, she rapes him with a ball. Oh, and there's all those, those strippers in the background, and they're like butts out, just like dancing on the chains. There's a lot of nudity again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that this is, of course, one of those moments that Brian turns around from his computer and just goes, what are you watching again? Okay, but he could have... Okay, this seems like it'd be right at Brian's alley. Of, of not knowing Brian whatsoever, it seems like some one of the few films we cover that he would moderately enjoy. Oh, yeah. He thought it was hysterical because, of course, I had just watched the original, which he was like, <laughs> this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, well, wait until we get to the Kirsten Bell stuff. <laughs> um. So, yeah, then she brands him. And then he, he literally has a line where he's like, help, this crazy tomatoes raping me and then she brands his ass with m and s which of course um wait mary sunshine ms nope nope not a reason for that i mean mary sunshine could be a reference to chicago oh maybe that's maybe a stretch as well i don't know but okay so what and this was in all the trailers for this movie. But, um, so basically the song ends and she throws him on the ground and straddles him mm-hmm. and then starts humping him in reverse cowgirl reverse position. Cowgirl. Yep. <laughs> and she's like, uh, uh, uh. And then he struggles and she goes, shut up, bitch, and yep. elbows him <laughs> in the face. Yep. And then keeps humping him. Oh, so Down good. and up and down again. <laughs> I uh, I mean, I, I get that it's not as effective probably if you don't love Kristen Bell as much as I do, but it's so fucking funny. The physical comedy here is on point. Well, and you have to envision, like, again, if you have not seen the film, you have to imagine her looking like motherfucking American apple pie. Her hair is blonde as fuck in ringlets. Yep. And, like, I think two ponytail kind of on the side bits. It's just Yeah, like, it's almost like a Shirley she Temple looks like a or like a... Yeah. Yeah, like Baby yeah. Jane. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So imagine that perverted by reefer. Hey, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And of course, th- this is the matriculate. Uh, cut back to the black and white and he's like one puff and the girl goes crazy um oh wait 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 wait. did we also forget that sally gave up her baby or is that later no we talked about it it's right before they hit the pedestrian oh shit okay sorry my bad oh p.s though the actor playing the chinese man who was gonna eat the baby couldn't get his lines right so he was 80 yard by john kassir that's even more uncomfortable (laughs) right Yeah, and it's very, like, Fu Manchu, Gremlin-style oh, yeah. <laughs> Asian depictions. And, of course, in the present day, the present day being the black and white 1936, there's an Asian woman who is, of course, uh, <laughs> racialized when she tries to speak up about the racist depictions. And everyone looks at her and she gets out of her seat. So so I come to that because whenever this guy speaks up about, oh, this isn't realistic that Mary Sunshine's going like this, and he like he makes fun of him for not going to college, and then the Asian woman's the one laughing the loudest, going, ho, ho, ho! pointing at him uh, yeah yeah again not pc not <laughs> no, pc but at it's all. really funny <laughs> so at this point jimmy comes upon mary and ralph in this compromised position and the two men fight and jack enters the fray he's got his gun and there's a scuffle and you know uh jack's got his gun and then all of a sudden mary gets shot there's a big scuffle and a big shootout Mary got shot. <laughs> now, I, I will confess, the, the first time I saw this, I was not expecting that, and I was very upset when she dies. I, I mean, I can totally see it, because you're thinking, well, that's our female lead. You're not just going to well, kill her off. And you just gave her this fucking awesome number, and then, oop, she's not in the movie anymore. Yep. <laughs> so she, well, she's not quite dead yet. She's dying. Right. So Jack sends Ralph and Sally away and they proceed to frame Jimmy. So Jimmy ends up getting the gun back. He ends up getting his ring from Jack. He puts it on Mary as she lays dying and they have a reprise of their Romeo and Juliet love song. And there's a great moment when he, she's like, did you get to read the ending? Was it perfect? And he looks at May and Jack and they're like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And my, my limited musical theater background allowed me to get the cue that this, this refrain or rather, sorry, reprise. This reprise uh, sounds a little bit like A Little Fall of Rain from Les Mis. I've never seen Les Mis, so I will take your word on that. Ah, well, look at me, one-upping you. Fuck you, fuck I'm... you. <laughs> it just looks so boring. Oh, no, it's really good. Okay. I was I was raised on it in Phantom, so. I mean, I like Phantom. I, I would say Les Mis is much better than Phantom, but that's well, just because I don't like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, yeah, it's not Andrew Lloyd Webber, which is, yeah, I get it. Yeah. But... From what I've heard of the music of Les Mis, I prefer the music of Phantom. Uh, yeah, Les Mis isn't quite as catchy, although I would say it has more significant and memorable numbers in the grand scheme of musical theater history. All right, that's fair. But really, like, don't watch the movie, go see the musical. Oh, well. That movie is garbage your shit. I heard it was fine. (laughs) I mean, your designation of fine does not speak volumes. (laughs) That's true. That's true. So the cops burst in and they they basically arrest Jimmy and May is the one who could change everything. Yes. Yeah, so this is one of my line deliveries for May. It's like, so she basically, yeah, Jack is framing Jimmy and she has this, Anna Gasser has this line where she's like, don't you get it? He's planning to frame you. It's, 
I don't even know what it is. And so Jimmy realizes it and he has the gun and he's going to shoot Jack. And then you have Anna Gasteyer behind him, like making, (laughs) making these faces. Come on, just shoot it again. Listeners, us doing this is not like doing this any fucking service. Watch the movie because the physical comedy here is insanely good. Ah, good old Anagastar. So Jimmy is arrested because May refuses to speak out against Jack because she is too in love with him still. It's really just battered wife syndrome. I wouldn't wouldn't say she's in love with him. It because it starts off as oh, she because he threatens her by trying to by breaking a a joint (laughs) in half behind the cop. And she can't handle losing the weed. Right? Because you will do anything for the reefer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes you mad. Turns you into a hooligan and or a whore. Yes. So Jimmy is immediately sent to jail on death row. It's like, <laughs> do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just go immediately to death row. <laughs> and we get a drop the soap gag. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you had to throw it in there. It's, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of gay jokes at Jimmy's expense. I mean, he's almost butt-raped by goat Satan. He is presumably raped in prison. Presumably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And at this point, we start to get people cracking under the pressure. So Ralph is the first to go because he sees Jimmy and Mary haunting him. And this is when we get the big musical number. So Jack throws him out into the backyard where there are reefer zombies. So the opening number zombies return. They begin to attack Ralph. So, yeah. So with the exception of the opening number, this is the scene where I was like, this qualifies this movie for this podcast. And... Maybe it's a bit of a stretch. I don't care. This, yeah, this is... Honestly, I and y'all musical theater nerds can kind of like, correct me on this, but I feel like kind of rare to have this big of a number, like, n- like in the second act before your finale. I don't know. I mean, again, I'm sure it's not like a general rule of thumb for all musicals, but I love this. Like, it's the whole company returned. Kristen Bell is in some kind of Flintstones handcuff mm-hmm. outfit. <laughs> getting She's basically ri- been imprisoned by Satan. Well, she has, the, she has a lyric as Satan is behind her, presumably fucking her in the ass, where she goes, it hurts a lot to bend, but at least I've made a friend. <laughs> Which is really just, you know, gay sex life in general. Yeah. Oh, and of course, yeah. So, oh, again, line delivery by Anna Gasteyer. So we have the song start. He eats um sally so she's out of the movie and then they go to get takeaway chinese food and then anna gaster runs in and goes yoo-hoo sally ralph we have takeaway from din foos <laughs> and then her head falls down the stairs yeah because you know ralph was so high that his munchies were overwhelming that he resorted to cannibalism <laughs> as you do the effects are pretty like not good like they're very intentionally bad but honestly the the mold of sally's head doesn't look half bad no, I think the head looks fine. It's when Jack picks up her arm later and you're like, oh, wow, oh. that is some Party City prop yeah. action right there. But they get really demented because um, Ralph not only makes out with the head, but then when Jack calls him out for being on a brand new Persian rug, he rubs the head's neck yes. wound all over the rug. <laughs> Fuck your rug. The satire of this film is so on point for me, and that it's combined with an R-rated drug musical is just, like, the cherry on top. And so, but this number is phenomenal, and almost everyone gets a chance to sing. Yeah, yeah, it's a good company number. I mean, it's obviously the biggest showcase that John Kassir 
gets and he, yes like he fucking runs with it but it it's nice because it brings back all of these dead characters for another go you also i mean it's it, you might not have noticed this but the part so basically so yeah ralph gets shot a bunch and then yes. they go they he gets thrown out the window and is impaled on the scarecrow stalk beam yes. thing yep jack walks aside may <laughs> She, like, steps through the broken glass very elegantly, pushing her tits out. And there's a part where she sees all the zombies are coming in. And Kristen Bell is handcuffed. And she's doing this crazy shit with her tongue. It is, the like, the most crazy eyes face as she's trying, almost licking her eyes with her tongue. It is nuts. Hmm. Okay. So what you're saying is Dax Shepard is a lucky man. Yeah, his butthole is probably very well attended to. <laughs> oh my god, that is America's sweetheart you were talking about. I don't know, How man. I listen to that Shepherd's podcast, and I, I listen to her on it too, and I bet you they have some great sex. Oh, I bet you they are fucking filthy. All yeah. the time. <laughs> She's, she is talking to kids about literacy and lunch lunch dates and stuff during the day and then mm-hmm. they are having like that S&M kinky sex from earlier in this movie all night. It's so funny because people when you talk about like Hollywood couples that have like really made it they've been married for 13 years like very odd to me they are a very like a good couple it's kind of nuts yeah it's them it's Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. like the people who just don't really do public shit and get into trouble exactly but yeah. But that is not this movie. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, we got the conclusion of this number, which I also love how this number builds. You know, you have that great moment in the end where it's like, now I see them, Jack. And they all want the childhoods back. And of course, this is May's turn, so she feels bad now. Mm-hmm. Basically, this is her breakdown. So she's very upset about all the lives that they've ruined. Yeah. And uh, she wants her emancipation. So she wants it from Jack and she wants it from drugs. So she beats him to death with a garden hoe and rips out his heart. It It's so over the top. And of course, this is her reprise of the stuff. And yeah, it's, it is gory. I think the heart's still beating maybe when she pulls it out. It might be this was to me more shocking than mary lane getting murdered yeah if only because i i mean this is quite a departure from the original film yeah so i i wasn't expecting her to randomly just murder someone and i wasn't expecting it to be quite so bloody because she ends up covered in covered (laughs) (laughs) i almost wish she she was wearing a white dress instead though i mean it looks fine on the purple because it's like a it's like a royal purple but um yeah i mean for the rest of this movie she is covered in blood (laughs) yep uh okay so she wraps the heart in newspaper and at this point she happens to see the headline of this newspaper which is that president roosevelt who is alan cumming in yet another role is visiting and she runs out into the street which is exactly when his motorcade is passing wait i have a horror connection too the secret service agent that punches her in the face who she then proceeds to headbutt in the balls right is played by ken kersinger who played Jason in Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, right. Canadian Jason. Mm-hmm. Also, I know we glossed over it, but when she fucking folds that newspaper over the heart, <laughs> and she, like, taps her finger, like, president in town, 6 o'clock, she looks at the clock, and it's 6 o'clock, and then she taps her finger back <laughs> at the text that says 6 o'clock. 
Hmm. <laughs> How fortuitous. I should leave the house. Mr. President, please! <laughs> yeah, so she throws herself in front of this motorcade. She manages to hail him down. And of course, he listens to this random woman covered in blood. They immediately go to the jailhouse, and he offers a presidential pardon before Jimmy is electrocuted in the electric chair. So, okay, are you familiar with Annie? Oh, dear. Don't do this to me. Okay, so just a heads up, (laughs) but you got the reference, right? Okay, so in case I haven't referenced it, I think I've referenced it once. I fucking hate Annie. It sucks. It's a terrible musical. It's, like, one of my least, like, it's my most hated film maybe of all time mm-hmm. so i wait, wait, wait like it... the original the, the, the 80s one yeah okay got it so i watched it a bunch as a kid and i basically repressed everything about it so no i did not catch the connection so just a heads up roosevelt is a character in annie okay. <laughs> he has his own song so that's why that's why whenever he's like you know a little orphan girl once told me that the sun would come out tomorrow right her, her adoptive father was a powerful billionaire so i suppressed the urge to laugh in her face <laughs> it's so funny it's and there's a weird cutaway too where like jimmy says something and she's like with our president here and it just cuts to alan cumming and he's going oh it's so bizarre and then yeah so he's saved and we have this tell him the truth number this is our last big i mean this is arguably the biggest of all of the numbers in the movie everybody comes back but they're playing different roles yes so we have um amy spanger sally is playing lady liberty of sexy lady liberty Ralph is Uncle Sam, and Jack is George Washington. I mean, you should know. You're a fucking American. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the way this it goes into the song, though, because, um, so it's, uh, it's, it's Anna Gasteyer, and she's going, <laughs> the tragic victim of drug abuse. It just, like, it's, ah, uh, it's so funny. My favorite part was how Christian Campbell wants to join in on the number, but he's still in Trapped the, in the chair. chair, and he can't move his arms or his head until someone releases him. Um, how about when they start doing a dance with Roosevelt in the wheelchair, and they call him lame? Oh, dear. Again, reminding me a little bit of Rocky Horror, where you've got the professor doing, like, high kicks in the final scene. <laughs> Yeah, so basically we've got this giant musical number, everything is good, the day has been saved, never mind all of the multiple dead people, but this jailhouse mob, they walk back to the flop house where Jimmy hacks down the pot plants and then he lights them on fire, which at this point prompts the devil to disappear into ash. Like, did he kill Satan? (laughs) Yep. And it sends uh, Mary Lane to Club Celestia as an angel. There's a part, too, where she's like, um, he's like, wait, please wait for me, Julia. And she's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) He talks about all the different ways that he might die. And she's super happy about it because it'll mean they're together. (laughs) One day I'll get cancer or hit by a train. (gasps) It's so good. Yeah. And the film comes to a close as the black and white and the color films merge. Everyone congregates around a giant bonfire as they sing, and the narrator drives out of town. And we end on the Tell Your Children, which is the name of the original film, and this, mm-hmm. the film reel burns up. Right. Yep. And then, of course, we get a reprise over the credits of the whole cast singing the title track, Reefer Madness. Reefer Madness, Reefer Madness. Ugh, I have heard all of these songs so many fucking times, it's not even funny. <laughs> um so yeah joe what did you think of reefer madness well 
you know, I thought it was a really serious deconstruction of the drug problems that are happening in America and the plight of the black man being arrested unfairly four to six times more likely than white people and being sent to prison. And, you know, I feel like the film really represents the fact that the U.S. is heading into legislated, basically the the disavowment of legal punishment for wait what are we talking okay, about? i'm gonna stop you i'm gonna stop you i think you're going on way too long uh no it, it, it's i know again because I, I saw your three and a half rating on letterbox and i respect that kind of it just goes on for too long for me i so it it's funny it, yeah it, it's a hundred minutes and i mean again you're talking 16 musical numbers it's it's a lot there's again probably one or two you could cut fucking brownie song and maybe lonely pew but then you lose Kristen bell's like i mean again I don't love Lonely Pew. It's like my, it, but it's I like it. It's a, but it's not one of my favorites. But it's I think it's a very smart, smart satire of just what, like what what this original film was and how it was all scaremongering and you know people believing everything they read and it's kind of timely with what we're the world we're living in now with all this coronavirus shit. And I mean, imagine if this was happening in the '30s, you know? Yeah, I mean. I'll admit when you when you mention like oh imagine if this was like the coronavirus I don't quite see the connection like I I understand the idea of like you're living under a government who literally cannot get their story straight for more than a day at a time mm-hmm. you've got you know what senator saying oh I didn't know that you could pass it if you were asymptomatic and everybody's like uh how come we've known that for 2 weeks and you haven't you motherfucker yeah so I I appreciate the fact that it maybe rings a little close to home for you, but I think to me it it just underscores the sheer ridiculousness that particularly the U.S. has with regard to the war on crime. Or sorry, mm. the war on drugs. Got it, got it, got it. I mean, well, that's the thing too, you know? It's like, why are we focusing so much fucking energy on weed when there's right. way worse drugs to, to, to battle? Yeah, and like the statistics that I said when I was rambling and joking about just how the war on drugs and particularly with regard to marijuana is like, it's so insane. Like there are people who are literally serving life sentences for dealing pot in the US, despite the fact that they're also living in states where it has been legalized and like their sentences have not been reneged. They have not been set free. They are still serving life sentences and guess what most of them are black so there's white men who are literally now opening dispensaries and getting rich and there's a bunch of black people who have been like unfairly targeted by the criminal justice system because they fucking sold a little dope or they happen to be carrying too much dope or any sometimes speaking of black people though there's also that really funny gag in the in the last number when it's like the mob of white people running with torches and then there's a shot of a family of black people that are walking and they look at them and they run away in the opposite direction (laughs) yeah because they know what's up oh it's a mob of angry white people black people be getting the fuck out of town (laughs) um yeah no you're i mean again Ultimately, this is a fluff film. I, don't, I know it's not fucking serious, but it's just really fun. I just thought for 420, and all the listeners, if you haven't fucking watched it, just go ahead and watch it. But it's a real fun little off week for us. I mean, we always aspire to seek out interesting films, but also films that maybe you haven't seen, that you might enjoy. We know, based on the downloads, that a lot of the time, these films don't get us a lot of new listeners, but... If you have not checked out Reefer Madness, the movie musical, it is worth your time. Particularly if you are a musical theater person, this film is like the cat's meow. 
And if you're not a musical theater person, I would still argue that it's probably one of the easier watches compared to something like The Sound of Music, you know? Well, at least this one you're going to get a lot of jokes. So it's a yeah. lot of physical pratfalls. It's a lot of witty banter. So even though it's really over the top and a little bit stagey, there's stuff here for people who don't like musicals too. Yeah. And I mean, even even the songs are fun at least. And again, I love Sound of Music, but I'm not going to tell someone who doesn't like musicals, oh, you should watch The Sound of Music. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Whereas I would tell anyone to watch this movie. <laughs> that maybe also says something about you. Probably so. <laughs> um, cool. Well, any final thoughts? Mm, no. I've said my piece. I am fully sober at this point, and I think people should just go watch the movie. All right. I agree. So, um, okay, before we announce what we're covering next week, um, if you'd like to contact us, you can visit our Horror Queers Facebook page or join our exclusive Horror Queers Facebook group. Tweet the show at Horror Queers or email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com. If you have two seconds, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. You can buy Horror Queers merch like t-shirts, stickers, mugs, pillows, and shit at tpublic.com. That is T-E-E-public.com. Uh, if you want more content, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Uh, you'll get a bunch of exclusive bonus episodes this month. Since there's no theatrical releases, we're doing a house horror. We've already dropped an episode on Hush, Mike Flanagan's Hush, and an audio commentary on Your Next. And we will soon have an episode on... The Stranger is coming out, so you're missing all that good content. Yeah, these are films that we would literally probably never cover on the main feed, so if you want to hear our thoughts on them, you gotta go and hit up that Patreon, baby. And it was Joe's first time viewing of Mike Flanagan's Hush, and you know how he felt about Dr. Sleep, so you should check in to see how he felt about that one. It's true. It's basically just me talking about Mike Flanagan and you jerking off in a corner. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, but Joe, what are we covering next week? Well, uh, we're going to leave behind the reefer madness and we're going to go back into the 80s a little bit. 80s? Early 90s? Uh, you know what? We're going to go into ghost sequel territory. We're going to be checking out Poltergeist 2. Colon, the other side. God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me. I have thoughts about the other side. And we will have not one, but two very special guests on that episode. And trust me, if you listen to our live episode on A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, you're going to want to listen to that episode on Poltergeist 2 as well. Oh my god, Robert Rustler's coming back? If only. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll cut it off at that and just tease y'all for next week. Uh, right. But on that note, we can cross out Reefer Madness, the movie musical. Yes, and cross out horror queers. Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy and disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.